Well, good morning, everybody. I, too, want to wish you a happy Father's Day. So glad that you decided to make a part of your day joining us here in church. That's a really good thing. You know, Thursday night was kind of a magical night for me because I had the opportunity to see the brilliant and powerful musical Hamilton with a really good friend, yes. And theater, live theater, is one of my happy places. I've gone to plays my whole life, and then both of my daughters majored in theater, so I've seen them in countless productions from the time they were little up to present day. And we all know that good acting, right, is when a person disappears into a role. They become momentarily like someone else. And I would suggest that in reality here this morning, all of you and myself are theater majors. We're all theater majors. Now you might say, no, I studied accounting or English lit or I work in construction or something. But whatever your pathway is, I think that we are theater majors because we learn to play roles from the time we're very young in life. And our stages include our family, our schools, the workplace, and even the stage of our friendships. Now, the universal symbol for theater is a mask. You may have seen something like this. Usually there's two masks, a happy face and a sad face. And this is because from the time we are very, very young, you and I learn how to hide. We pretend. We pretend that we're smarter than we really are or happier than we really are or more confident than we really are. And some of us adopt roles that very specific roles that we play throughout our lives. You might have been the good student, the listener, the achiever, the athlete, the bad boy, the artist. And some of us get so good at playing these roles, like we could win an Oscar. Now, I was very interested to learn from Professor Dallas Willard that Jesus would have been familiar with the stage. Did you know that? Because back in Palestine, during his day, there were many fine theaters, including one just a few miles from Jesus' childhood home in Nazareth. In fact, Dallas Willard suggests that it's quite possible that Jesus and his father were carpenters building that theater when he was young. Did you know that the term hypocrite in classical Greek actually means actors? That's what it means. And it can refer to anyone who practices deceit. When Jesus used the term hypocrites, he was using a word that his listeners would be very familiar with because they knew all about the stage and about acting. And Jesus calls people who show off their good deeds, he calls them hypocrites. He was disgusted by the pretending he saw among the leaders. He called them out on their hiding, on their acting. And in the book of Luke, we read a scathing indictment he made of the Pharisees. Look at what Jesus said. He said, you try to look good in the eyes of men, but God sees your hearts. And what men think highly of is a stench before God. See, the problem with hiding is that it leads to self-protection and isolation. And in this series titled Life Swap, we've been looking at the wardrobe that God invites us to take off and what he invites us to put on instead. And here's my argument today. I think the one we're talking about today, the life swap we're talking about today, is the most significant one of all. Here's what we want to take off. We want to learn to take off this hiding that we begin to learn from a very, very young age. I know I have. 
And if we're going to take this off, what are we going to put on instead? What wardrobe item is Jesus inviting us to adopt? Well, that would be vulnerability. Vulnerability. In his letter to the Colossians, Paul writes this, do not lie to each other. Stop your hiding, in other words, because you've taken off your old self with its practices and you've put on a new self. When we hide, we deceive one another. We're crafting an image that isn't really the truth. Now, when our colleague pastor, Jeannie Stevens, who's quarterbacking this series, called me several weeks ago and invited me to teach on vulnerability, I laughed out loud and I said, you're doing this on purpose, right? Because she knows that I am a three on the Enneagram, if you're familiar with the Enneagram, and that means that deceit is my shadow side and that I really prefer this shirt. I really like this shirt. And this shirt is a harder one for me to wear. So I am not coming to you today as an expert. By the way, she said it was a coincidence. I'm not buying it that she assigned this to me. Because every teacher learns the most when they prepare. So today, we're going to learn this together. I truly believe that vulnerability is a choice. And when we choose to be vulnerable, we are choosing the path of love. Writer Donald Miller, in his book on intimacy, writes this. Part of me believes when the story of Earth is told, all that will be remembered is the truth we exchanged, the vulnerable moments, the terrifying risk of love and the care we took to cultivate it. And all the rest, the distracting noises of insecurity and the flattery and the flash bulbs will flicker out like a turned off television. So what is vulnerability? Vulnerability is the willingness to be seen, to fully show up with your emotions, your feelings, your opinions, and your judgments. And at any given moment in relationships, you and I have two choices. You've seen this before. This comes from Jim Dethmer, and he says, in any moment, we can choose to either reveal or to withhold. Revealing leads to connection. You feel a stronger connection when someone reveals, and withholding leads to distance or to withdrawal. I can either be transparent or once again, I can hide. I have that choice in any given moment. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I had the privilege, and it really was a privilege, to travel to Australia for uh, a trip where I was going to be teaching in several different cities and then in Auckland, New Zealand as well. And I was invited there to teach church leaders about men and women leading well together in light of the gender divide and the Me Too movement. I was able to share that experience with my older daughter who came with me. And while we were gone, it was such a long trip, we FaceTimed with my husband a few times to check in. And I would tell him how wonderful the experience had been, how much fun Samantha and I were having together. And that was all true. But on my long flight home, and it was a very long flight uh, all by myself, I had a chance to reflect on the experience. And I decided to do a little bit of journaling and writing things down. And I was aware that I was starting to feel tender. Now, with vulnerability, the first thing is you've got to know your own emotions. You've got to be vulnerable with yourself, right? So I sat there and I thought, why am I feeling so tender? And I decided that when I got home and I reunited with my husband, Warren, I wanted to be sure to tell him that I had felt very fragile on this trip, actually. That often, before I came up to teach, I was afraid and I wondered how the connection was going to go and whether the content was going to be what it needed to be. 
And I would much prefer to come home and just do happy talk about the trip, to hide behind my facade of strength, but I decided I needed to open this up to him. And when I did, that conversation actually led to a much more loving connection. Why do we withhold? Because we're so afraid of what the other person will think, or maybe because some of the things we need to share we, are, we think might stir up conflict, that's scary, or we don't want to hurt someone else's feelings. We're more interested, aren't we, in impressing one another than in opening up and being seen. And according to experts, you and I withhold three big feelings. They fall under three major buckets, anger, fear, and sadness. Those are the three we have the most trouble sharing. So my question for all of us today is, what will we choose? The path of hiding is so much easier. My friends will have so much company over here. This is what the world does. Or we can choose the path of vulnerability. And I believe that hiding does not lead to the kind of life God made us for. It won't get us there. In fact, the danger of isolation is greater than the risk of intimacy. The danger of isolation is far greater than the risk of intimacy. Now, vulnerability is actually the path to love, to belonging, and to deep, deep joy. This is true in our families, our friendships, and even, as we'll see in a moment, in the workplace. Now, we've been exploring in this series the life and teachings of Paul. Paul was a vulnerable leader. Jeannie told us in week one of this series that Paul called himself the chief of sinners. It's a pretty vulnerable thing to say. Look what he said to the Corinthians when he was writing them. He was describing how he behaved among them. And he said, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. In other words, I wasn't hiding. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. How remarkable is it that Paul, this significant leader in the life of the early church, was willing to show up with his weakness, was willing to be open. Now, in our current day, probably no one has written more and is more known about the subject of vulnerability than social scientist Brene Brown. You may be familiar with her books or her TED Talk or her Netflix message. She offers so much wisdom in this arena, and I'll be leaning into that a bit. And in her Netflix message, she listed some myths about vulnerability. I've borrowed some of her myths and added a few of my own, and I want to explore to you, with you today seven myths of vulnerability. Myth number one, vulnerability is weakness. I think most of us grow up believing this is true, but the opposite is actually true. Vulnerability is scary, and it's dangerous, and it's so uncertain to show our emotions. For that reason, vulnerability is the most accurate way to measure courage. It is the brave among us who are vulnerable. We can't talk about vulnerability without talking about fear. I think we're afraid that when we expose ourselves, the other person might reject us or misunderstand. So when I took the risk to tell Warren what I was really feeling on my trip, I risked that he might minimize it or try to fix it instead of listening well. Every day, you and I choose whether to be brave and reveal or whether to take the comfortable alternative to get back behind our mask and hide every moment we have this choice. And some of us numb ourselves with busyness and hurry so we can't notice the emptiness inside. 
The second myth is very closely related to the first. Vulnerability is more of a female thing than a guy thing. Some of you dads are wondering why in the world we're talking about vulnerability on Father's Day. You may wish we were talking about any other subject. But when it comes to identifying and expressing emotion, we carry around a stereotype, don't we? That men don't do feelings. That men don't do vulnerability. And that kind of perspective does not serve us well. Men, and women I might add, move toward whatever makes us feel competent. And few men feel competent about their intimate relationships. But Donald Miller argues, and I agree, that while men may do intimacy differently, they are actually great at it. Men grow up believing they aren't. But you can be great at it. Now, it's been said that women do friendship face-to-face, -face, and men tend to do it side-by-side. So I could get together with one of my girlfriends and sit across a table over coffee or a meal, and we can talk for literally hours about everything under the sun and listen well to each other and exchange our hearts. And I get home, and Warren will say, how could you possibly have had that much to talk about? <laughs> Just can't believe it. Well, he recently had a friend come over, his friend Dan, and there was an issue with the roof on our house. So the two guys went outside, and they stood on the sidewalk with their arms crossed, side by side, looking up at the roof. And I was in the house laughing, because first of all, I knew they had no clue what to do about the roof. Both of them are helpless when it comes to handy stuff. But they're standing there, side by side, staring at the roof, having like a guy moment. Like, I'm with you, brother. Now, I don't understand this vulnerability, but that's the way they do it. So, okay. But I think it's very helpful to distinguish for all of us between dialogue and discussion. On my way to church this morning, I heard on the radio that there is a difference between knowing about someone, which would be like facts and stuff, and really knowing someone. John Powell says that dialogue is the communication of emotion and feeling. Discussion is more intellectual. It's in the head. And that's making plans or decisions or just sharing factual information. And I think discussion is the place our culture drives us, and particularly men, to be most at home. But it would be so helpful for you and me as we navigate conversations, there'll be a lot of discussion along the way, but to occasionally say, you know, I want to make a different choice. I want to make a turn towards dialogue. I want to traffic in that arena of emotions and feelings, that scary land. For all of us, men and women, vulnerability, as I said, begins with assessing your own emotions, being curious. Like, what am I actually feeling right now? Or, why do I feel like punching someone? Or, what's going on with my stomach? Or, why do I have this headache? Why am I so incredibly irritable today? And we can either poke around and seek to understand, or we can deny our emotions and really hope they will just go away. The problem is, emotions don't go away, do they? They can fester inside of us and cause distance between us and the people we love. I really enjoyed reading the story of Donald Miller's growth when it comes to intimacy. The title of his book is Scary Close. And that's because he's really struggled with this issue of vulnerability. He's an introvert. And he admits that he sabotaged a lot of friendships along the way and even some romantic relationships because he couldn't open up about his emotions. He didn't get married until he was in his 40s, largely, he says, because of this pattern. 
but Donald courageously determined that he was going to free himself from isolation and risk being seen. And in his book, he makes a list of some of his newfound freedoms as a guy who's being more vulnerable. I love this. He says, I am willing to sound dumb. I'm willing to be wrong. I'm willing to be passionate about something that isn't perceived as cool. I'm willing to express a theory. I'm willing to admit I'm afraid. I'm willing to contradict something I said before. I'm willing to have a knee-jerk reaction, even a wrong one. I'm willing to apologize. And my favorite, I'm perfectly willing to be perfectly human. You know, my own father passed away about four years ago now. And he was a very strong man. He was a fighter pilot in World War II and the Korean War. But through my life with him, I got glimpses of moments when he was vulnerable. And one that I will never forget happened when I was in high school. I came home from school and saw my dad sitting at the kitchen table. And it was way earlier than he normally came home. And I said, Dad, what's up? And he just started weeping. And he told me that my cousin had been killed in a factory explosion right here in Chicago. And my dad was heartbroken for his brother and his brother's wife at the loss of their only son. I don't know if I'd ever seen my dad weep like that before, and in that moment, I felt closer to him than I ever felt in the past. So to all the men among us today, I would say this. Every time you traffic in feelings and emotion and vulnerability, you make a powerful connection with that other person. There's no greater gift, actually, that you could give to a friend or a girlfriend or a spouse or one of your children than to be vulnerable. Don't let the world tell you you can't do this or you won't be good at it because that is a lie. Myth number three, vulnerability equals disclosure. In the midst of a selfie world and social media, many of us might think, Yes, I'm being vulnerable because I do all this sharing of images and words. But there is a difference between disclosure and true vulnerability. Now, remember I told you how much I like theater? Well, to illustrate this myth, I want to invite you to watch this scene right now. There she is. We finally made it happen. I miss you. I miss you, too. What are you up to? Oh, picture me, um, picture me at like a cute little street festival. Ugh, I miss Chicago. Do you guys love your new place? Oh, picture me obsessed with it. Picture me in a really cute apartment in a really cool neighborhood with like really cool spots and us always going to all the spots. Ugh, awesome. And married life is good? Picture it perfect. Picture him home all the time. Picture us transitioning to living together is pretty much seamless. Picture I love his little chin hairs in the sink. Remember, like, how we were at our wedding? Yeah. Picture that. Love that. So happy for you. Thank you. And how about you? How was your trip? Ugh, my trip. Well, first of all, picture me the most tan I've ever been. Wow, more than that one time? Oh, way more. Whoa. And picture me never speaking English, basically a local. Impressive. Good, yeah, uh, picture me alone a lot, but the good kind of alone, the confident alone. You know the confident kind of alone? Mm, I know about the other kind of alone, the insecure kind. I mean, I don't know about it, I've heard about it. Yeah, not that, not that, opposite of that. Uh, like doing yoga on a mountaintop kind of alone. Got it, okay, I'm picturing you tan, doing a warrior pose on a mountaintop, never speaking English, confidently by yourself. Perfect. <laughs> but also, you know, picture me doing what I went there to do. I mean, picture me saving the world a little. 
Well, of course. You know, picture it was ethical and responsible. Picture me humble, but picture me like a really good person, making a difference in the lives of kids in need. Okay. Don't picture me crying under my mosquito net. I'm not. I'm serious. Why would I picture that? I don't know. Don't. But uh, you can give out that other picture to anyone who asks about me and my trip. I will. I will. I'll give it to mom and dad. How are mom and dad? Picture them older. Mm, I don't want to. Okay. Picture them the same. Uh, how did everything go with their move? Fine. Yeah? Yeah. Good. Picture me having everything under control. I always do. I mean, picture me a little bit sad, saying goodbye to our childhood home. Sure. But imagine that I didn't need you there. Imagine I would have liked to be there. Deal. Deal. Their new place is fine. It's only one level. That's most important. No stairs for mom. They're excited for you to see it when you come next month. Oh. You are coming next month for mom's surgery? Um, picture that I'm too busy. Oh, okay. Is that okay? Yeah. I'm sorry. That's fine. Uh, really? Yeah. I'm super bummed. Well, picture me just a little bit bummed. Don't picture me crushed. Okay, good. Picture me busy, too. Well, I am. I'm picturing you super busy with your job search. Exactly. Uh, what kind of thing are you looking for? Well, actually, okay, this is kind of out there or like unexpected, but I'm really excited about, I, I know this wasn't what I had been doing and it's not what I planned to do. It's a little risky, but I'm excited about dipping my toe into, Never mind. Picture me doing what I've always done. You sure? Yeah. Please don't picture me in process. Don't picture me changing lanes. Picture me having changed. Picture me once I know my new idea works. I'll let you know when. I'll let you know if. Okay. So what are you up to the rest of the night? Well, picture me with fun plans. Same. I wish I could go, out, could go out with you. I wish I could see you. Yeah, well, we were supposed to next month. You told me not to picture you crushed. I'm not crushed. You sound mad. I'm starting to picture you a little bit mad. Why would you picture me mad? I'm not mad. Stop picturing that. I can't afford to go home. Oh, I was picturing you were too busy. Well, if you could see me, you would see me staring at my bank account on my screen telling me I can't afford a plane ticket. You would see that I'm not busy. You would see that I'm broke. Except not. I'm not, actually. You know, I feel guilty for even feeling broke compared to what, you know, what I just saw on my trip. My trip was really hard. I don't know how to talk about it. People keep asking me, how's your trip? How's your trip? How's your trip? And what they want is like a short positive sentence with a period. What I have is like a zillion questions that I'm still thinking of and a horrible sunburn. I'm not tan at all. You would see that if you could see me. I'm burnt because all I did was play soccer. Oh, I pictured you making a difference. No, they had me assisting a teacher who didn't need to be assisted. So I basically played soccer and journaled and everyone spoke to me in English. I don't know why I was there. I didn't help anyone, but why did I go there thinking I would? That school doesn't need me, it needs water. So then I got home and I made a big donation, like a big, big donation, and now I feel poor, even though I'm not actually, but I can't afford a plane ticket and still pay my rent, even though the most helpful thing I could have done all summer would have been helping you help mom and dad. And I know you're mad you're doing it alone. Don't worry about me. I'm scared they're getting old, and you're married, and our family's changing, and our house is gone, but then I feel like those feelings are dumb because the world is broken, and I get to eat Cheez-Its, and I'm opening another box, and I'm already in my PJs because my only plans after this are with Netflix, so. That's what you would see if you could see me. Oh, look at me. Okay, picture me looking at you. Look at me. But then you'd see me. What would I see? I don't know. That's okay. It is.
that really illustrates better than I ever could how you and I are like our own PR agents, aren't we? Public relations. We draw up a picture of what we choose to share with other people. And many of us, I think, tend to overshare with random strangers and not really open up with people sitting right across from us. Where do we learn about healthy vulnerability? I think our family of origin is the best place to learn. Sadly, it's the place many of us learned how to hide. But for those of you who are raising young children, and I see this all the time at Soul City, and I want to applaud you young parents, but I challenge you to keep creating a home where children are invited to fully express their emotions and feelings, where they don't have to pretend, where the big three emotions of anger, fear, and sadness are actually welcome, and where you begin modeling it yourself as parents. I could have done this much better when my girls were young. But when you're willing to admit your own feelings, that gives them permission to do the same. In Paul's letter to the Romans, he wrote these words, Love must be sincere. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Now that word sincere can also be translated genuine or without hypocrisy. Love must be without hypocrisy. Paul is telling us don't hide from each other. And make sure you fully experience the wide range of emotions with those you love. Myth number four, trust comes before vulnerability. This is an easy one to believe because we think, I have to completely trust someone, then I will choose to be vulnerable. But actually, both have to grow over time. It's been compared to swimming lessons. Uh, when my girls were growing up, they hated swimming lessons. And I think it, they would have argued, let me get really comfortable completely in the water before you teach me anything. But you know, that doesn't work. And if I was waiting for that, they would never get in the water. When you teach someone to swim, it starts with right putting their face in or holding their breath or starting their first few strokes. And then they grow in confidence over time. It's the same thing with vulnerability. We put our toe in the water. We risk expressing something and we wait and see how the other person's gonna respond. If we don't drown and the world doesn't end, we might be willing to try again. Also, psychologists tell us that when one party in a relationship opens up, it makes it much more likely that the other one will soon reciprocate. So it's like, I trust you a little bit, you receive that, and then you can trust me. Now, it's very important to note that we should be discriminating with our vulnerability. We don't open up everything to everyone. We reveal our feelings to people who have earned the right and people we are beginning to grow to trust. Myth number five, vulnerability is not for the workplace. As we grow in vulnerability with our family and friends, we might think that's great, but not in the workplace. Lots of us believe that at our jobs, we shouldn't show our feelings. We should be professional and guarded and, and hide. Wear that mask, you know, put it on every morning when you go to work, wear that mask. But the truth is that we spend more than half of our lives at work, and all that hiding is exhausting. Much has been written about toxic workplaces where people are dealing with perfectionism and the abuse of power and fear. So what do you think? Is it wrong for people at any kind of workplace to love one another? No. In fact, Brene Brown argues that if we practice vulnerability at work, we're going to have the greatest opportunity for innovation and feedback and healthy, honest conversations. 
Leaders in the workplace often assume that we have to adopt some kind of persona that says, I've got this under control. I have all the answers. I never struggle. I'm nothing but strong. And Patrick Lencioni, an expert on culture in the workplace, says, you know what? That is not true. People will do almost anything for a vulnerable leader. As we show up, whether in the work or in the home, it's a choice every day to be brave and lean into the courage instead of the comfort to stop our hiding. Myth number six, eventually vulnerability won't be so scary and uncomfortable. All I want to say about that myth is I sure wish it was true, but it's not. Maybe it gets a little easier over time, but vulnerability will always be uncomfortable. We can't engineer the discomfort out of it. Life is a series of difficult conversations, but pushing down our emotions or numbing them is still a worse choice than being willing to be seen. Which leads me to the final and most important myth, myth number seven. I can live a wholehearted life without vulnerability. Do you know what the second hardest thing in the world is? The second hardest thing in the world is to engage in intimate, vulnerable human relationships. So what is the hardest thing? The hardest thing in all the world is to live alone because God created us for connection. That's what we're made for. The Apostle Paul knew this to be true, and he chose to be vulnerable. Now, usually we grab our Bibles much earlier in the message, but I want to ask you to grab the Bible in front of you so we can look at one scene in the life of Paul, a dramatic moment in the life of Paul. And this is found in Acts chapter 20, page 902 in the Bible in front of you. 902. Let me set the scene for you. This could be a movie. It would be a great movie. The scene is a beach. And Paul is about to board a ship for a journey to Jerusalem. So he called for the leaders of Ephesus to come, and he wanted to say goodbye to them. Look at what happened on that shore, starting with verse 18, Acts 20, verse 18. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears. Skip down to verse 22. And now... Compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Now look at this. He says, Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Then Paul gives them some final instructions and challenges. And then look at this final moment in verse 36. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. What a beautiful picture of love and friendship and yes, of grief. Because here's the absolute truth. If we love deeply, we will grieve deeply. C.S. Lewis said it best. He said, to love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. 
Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your own selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. Sunday and Monday, I joined many of you in grieving with the Stevens family. You heard last week, if you were here, that G.D. Stevens and her entire family lost her brother, Andy, at the age of just 44. He passed away in his sleep about 10 days ago now. And he left a young wife and a seven-month-old son. And first I want to say to all of you, thank you for how you've supported this family. Thank you for showing up for them in your prayers and in your presence, both. When I attended the funeral on Monday, there were many stories about Andy, which you would have expected. Some of them were joyful stories. There was some laughter, remembering this amazing man. But mostly, there was deep, deep grief. And you know what? I think grief is the emotion we fear the most. When we go to a funeral, especially of someone so young, we sit there and we think about the fragility of life. And I don't know about you, I'm sure I'm not the only one. I imagine losing someone I love when I sit in that funeral. And we wonder, is love worth it? Is it worth it to have to expect that someday we will grieve deeply? I don't want to speak for Jeannie and her family, but here's what I observed last week. It was obvious to me that they would declare this. In spite of the heartbreak, loving Andy was more than worth it. They had all known deep joy in the years they shared together. My friends, hiding from other people and avoiding the risk will never lead us to the kind of life that God created us for. Wholehearted, abundant life with the full range of emotions. We all face a choice that could not be more clear. Are we going to take off this shirt of hiding and put on a new shirt? Be brave and put on our vulnerability. So here's your homework assignment should you choose to accept it. I want you to think about one relationship where you are withholding. Well, you know that you haven't really been showing up with either some anger or fear or sadness. And I want you to commit to taking a step toward that person, to taking a risk, to being bold and brave and saying, could we talk? And trafficking in dialogue instead of just discussion, getting out of your head and into your heart. And maybe if your dad's still living, maybe that's a step you could take with him today or with someone else that you're close to. Take a risk. Don't miss out on the wonder of being fully alive and fully engaged with a few people on this earth. That is what we were made for. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, thank you for designing us hardwiring us for connection. Thank you that it is the secret to belonging and love and deep joy. 
And Father, we pray that you will help us to stop all our hiding and our image management and help us to take the risk to say, you know what, I'm really not as together as I project. You know what, I'm feeling some sadness or I'm feeling some fear or I'm feeling some anger. God, may we build bridges to one another, to our friends, to our small group, to our spouse if we're married, to our children and our parents. God, may we build some bridges of love. Nothing would delight you more. Thank you that you are the father of love and that when we follow you, we are following who you made us to be. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.